Hi everyone! Thank you for joining us. This is Are these books drunk? <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And our sweet Mariana is away on maternity break. We still miss you. Yes, we do. But this is still your book club with a twist, and we yes. are still your happy hour girlfriends. Woo woo. Last week, we talked about memorable serial killers and meaningful <laughs> buildings. <laughs> We wondered why sweet, innocent baby blue eyes are sometimes seen as the sinister mark of evil, and mused about the custom-made rooms we'd want in our homes, a la Holmes's basement incinerator. <laughs> mm. I gotta tell you, reading this week's pages left me hankering for a cigar and a cocktail. Oh. Okay, well, maybe just the cocktail. Okay. Ems, what are we drinking this week? Well, Brandy... Guess what city this cocktail today is named after? Oh, I wonder. I'll give you one guess. <laughs> St. Louis. Yep, you nailed it. <laughs> Today's cocktail pairing is called Chicago Cocktail. Ooh, oh my. Yeah. No frills needed. This one gets straight down to business. I think what I like the most about this one, though, is that the main ingredient is your name, Brandy. <laughs> I'm delicious. You are. Ooh. That was like a very Holmes comment to make. Okay. I really don't have much to say about this drink, except I hear a little old Frank Sinatra medley called Chicago play in oh. my head every time I take a sip. Here to share the recipe for this sophisticated cocktail is our own sophisticated bartender, Ricardo. <laughs> woo, 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 Ricardo. Aye, aye. Ciao, Brandy. Welcome to the bar. Hi. Ready for some Chicago? Oh, I'm so ready for some <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> so a very appropriate cocktail for this book called Chicago Cocktail and it's a little twist of a 1930 uh, classic cocktail um, it's a brandy no pun intended hey. <laughs> it's a brandy based cocktail and the original version was very simple it was just brandy uh, triple sec or like any orange liquor and champagne Oh, oh my, that's fancy. But our taste definitely changed. And so the bartenders during the year tried to uh, change and adjust the recipe to the modern taste. And so this is, I guess, a very contemporary version of the Chicago cocktail. Okay, so, we'll take it. <laughs> for this cocktail, it, we're still going to need brandy. Yeah, can't do without the brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Half of an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice a quarter of an ounce of triple sec uh, or orange curacao and a quarter of an ounce of maraschino ricor. Um, it would be nice if you have even an orange bitter because you mm. can put like a couple of dashes at the end just to give a little bit more of an uh, orange profile again to this okay. very citrusy cocktail. But right. to help us to drink this cocktail because we don't we don't have a proper sweetener in the liquid we're gonna right. put a sugar rim 
on the Ooh, glass. Yeah. So first thing to create the, the sugar rim on the glass, we need to wet the edges of the glass with uh, the lemon that we're gonna squeeze. So let's wet the rim with a little bit of the lemon and in a plate, in a small plate, we pour the sugar and we create the sugar rim first before obviously pouring the cocktail. It would be very I difficult. actually chilled my glass a little while okay. in the freezer before okay. so then that works. when I put the sugar rim on it, the glass was frosted yeah. and it felt like a wintry, delicious nice. treat. Yeah. Because it looks like ice on the rim. Exactly. It was, you know, the glass is frosted and beautiful. That works too. That works too. It's like... <laughs> Uh, cause a little bit of preparation like putting the glass in the freezer the cocktail because it has a juice so in this case it's the lemon juice it's uh, shaken if you are like me and you don't like the ice the little pieces of ice when you shake a cocktail you double right. strain this cocktail so yeah. we pour all the ingredients in the shaker and we double strain it in uh, I would say a martini or a coupe glass yeah. And we garnish with an orange peel and a couple of dashes of orange bitter. And here you have your Chicago cocktail. I got to warn people, too. This is a very short little cocktail. So I made myself a double. Oh, that's and it dangerous. Still looks, it still looks short. But yes, you're right. It is dangerous. Yeah, yeah brandy is pretty alcoholic. So it's, it's dangerous. Like the only ingredient that is not alcohol is the lemon juice. So pretty intense. But I think that it's very nice. Well, wish me luck. Yeah. And especially for a double. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, alla vostra salute, ladies. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. All right, woman. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Brandy for brandy. Love it. Love it. It's like a, like a seasonal, yeah, a little like autumnal. Yeah, it is a little. Yeah, I, I, it feels wintry, especially with like that little um, sugar rim. It looks, it looks kind of icy and Christmassy or something. Yeah, it looks pretty, but I like that combination too. I love maraschino, maraschino yeah. liqueur. Yeah, it's really nice, and I'm not a huge brandy drinker. Um, and I'm, I'm honestly really surprised because I thought this was going to be a lot sweeter than yeah, it ended up being. Right. It's, it's a little bit more tart. Um, and then the sugar rim kind of helps balance it out, which is really nice. Chicago, Chicago. Chicago. All right. This week, sweet Ned Connor moves to Chicago with his wife, Julia, their daughter, Pearl, and his sister, Gertrude. And they all end up working in Holmes's drugstore where Ned can't help but notice that Holmes is extremely attentive with Julia and Gertie. Mm. Gertie eventually leaves, having been upset in some way by Holmes, but refuses to tell Ned anything. Ned eventually discovers that Holmes has lured him into a scheme to buy the drugstore and its immense debt. And he's been cuckolded. Holmes and Julia are having a secret affair. After Ugh. Ned eventually leaves, Holmes murders Julia under the pretense that he's going to help her out with an abortion. And he kills little Pearl, too, later claiming that the two had left to see family, though their belongings mysteriously lay untouched in their apartment, awaiting the next family that moves in. Holmes later proposes marriage to Miss Emmeline Sigrand, who later goes missing just moments after saying goodbye to friends of hers in Holmes's building, stating that she'd be going home to her family for Christmas and possibly would not return. So who knows what went down between her and Holmes to make yeah. her say that. 
The sight of the World's Fair, meanwhile, is a whirlwind of things gone wrong as Burnham tries to hold it all together in time for the grand opening. Weather, time constraints, labor issues, financial issues, illnesses, and issues with the construction's integrity all loom heavy, threatening to disrupt everything. But Burnham finally finds his centerpiece to rival Eiffel's little tower in France. (laughs) Is it it. that Ferris wheel that you did extra (laughs) research about before this week's chapters and knew everything already? It is that Ferris wheel. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's so funny. I mean, I'll just start here because this is where you just left off. But the fact that they were about to out Eiffel the Eiffel with the creator of the Eiffel Tower. With Eiffel. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, this and is the, not... And the hilarious thing, too, is that all he wanted to do was build another, another Eiffel one. Tower, but bigger. Right. <laughs> so it's like, this is not the American... They were like, it has to be built by Americans. And then they were like, we'll just bring the French guy in to make the same thing. So right. stupid. Right. It does make me wonder if other people hadn't been so pissed off by it. Like, if the other architects hadn't been like, absolutely not. Like They would have just done it. Yeah. Would they have just done it if it hadn't been but for that? But white. <laughs> red, white, and blue. Like, threads of steel <laughs> in red, white, and blue all the way up and down. That's what it would have so been. So American. Oh, man. I have to admit, I started to have like a small panic attack just reading about everything on Burnham's plate. The architects are stalling on him, getting their plans when he's already behind schedule, all those labor disputes, the fire safety considerations, the water cleanliness considerations. You know, they're worried about this cholera epidemic that's passing through the country, criticism that the buildings will be able to withstand the winds. It just seems like... He's got so much to think about and so much to consider. And then on top of all of it, he loses root. Yeah, so early on. So early on. Yeah, my my head is like spinning even just saying all of the things. <laughs> like when he started talking about a water treatment plant, I was like, oh my God, explodes. same. I didn't, same. I was like, oh, wait, I don't understand. On top of building a fair, you're now also coming up with a water purification process. I I, I right. was like, I don't understand. And all the right. electric issues. I mean, I thought that was pretty cool about Edison. I had never thought about that. And then you have two months to do all of this? Like, there's just right. no way. Craziness. Well, and then when they were talking also about the, um, you know, the issues with the actual ground that these buildings were going to be built on like how the ground couldn't really withstand the weight i was just going to say that that's not something i never even thought about that you have to take into consideration also like wind you know for the structure and the height architecture is mind-blowing to me yeah but to have such a short amount of time to do it and with all those other things going on like you said and by yourself I, would I throw mean, the even towel the in. other architects, it felt like, didn't think that they that this was going to get pulled off. You know what I mean? Like, and they're architects. Like, they would know. I think. Yeah, I would have been <laughs> and like, even they're bye. like, it fucking happen. Right? Yeah. It was really difficult this week too in these chapters to hear about all the people who are out of work, and then mm. when he. When he has to fire a whole bunch of people because the fair is basically running out of money and he knows Mm. he's basically, you know, forcing them into poverty and forcing their families probably into starvation. And yet in his mind, the fair is the be all end all. Like this fair has to happen. And so these people cannot be And by this date. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But then on the flip side, there was also the whole... 
argument of all of the labor workers that then got to like join the union and get union wages. So at least like right. it did work out for some people because they they had been treated terribly and then right. someone stood up for them. So I guess there is right. a little silver lining. Yeah, totally. It just seems like such a difficult it seems like such a difficult time to have been alive. I can't yes, imagine. I know. Well, I mean, here we are, though, with, like, also a global pandemic and a flood. Like, we're going through, it's I mean, I feel crazy. bad comparing, but I think we're we're getting our own little taste of what a True. time to be alive. <laughs> True. But, I mean, one of the things that kind of keeps coming up is, like, and I can't get over it, the smell. You know, they talk about mm. the stockyards and the stench that always comes from the stockyards. But this week, I mean, it just seems like they use manure for everything. Like, mm-hmm. they're using it to fertilize stuff. They're using it to pack the fire hydrants to keep them, or to pa- pack pipes, I guess. Yeah, to keep so them they don't from... freeze, which is yeah. really smart. And then, like, just the talk of, like, fecal matter horses. in the river, the dead horse, the dead cat, like, in the Ugh. water and all this stuff. It just seems like, oh, and then they even mentioned that Chicago, I guess the poorer Chicago residents like almost never have clean water to drink. They just drink what's available, even though it's not good water. It just seems like it's so <laughs> it just seems like a really hard time. To be <laughs> yeah. Alive. Yeah. Well, especially for women, listen, that whole bit about Sophia Hayden, the female oh architect. Oh my gosh. And also <laughs> Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. But the main thing that I was astonished by was that there was a woman's building of the fair. I know. I know. And specifically, the fair's board of lady managers that governed all things at the fair having to do with women. Why was that necessary? Who knows? What What did they do? What is in a woman's building? I don't know. Like, gloves? (laughs) <laughs> and then to hear about that sort of higher-powered woman, the very wealthy woman who starts driving the female architect crazy, basically, because she's being so mean to her, mm. that broke my heart. It was like a, it was like an 1800s mean girl. Mean girls. Yeah. Yeah. Like the sentence he literally writes is, a battle followed, fought in true Gilded Age fashion, with <laughs> oblique snubs and poisonous courtesy. Mrs. Palmer pecked and pestered and catapulted icy smiles into Hayden's deepening gloom. Oh, Well, and then he claimed that she was having a nervous breakdown and sent her to a fucking sanatorium. Right, when it really just kind of sounds like maybe she was, like, having a hard time depressed. or was, like, depressed. Yeah, yeah which they which labeled it, melancholia, like it's a whole disease. It also seems like many of the men in this story are struggling with that as well, and they're not going to a sanatorium, like... I forget who it was. It Olmstead just like goes to Europe for a little bit yeah. of time. Like he takes a break. And he's still thinking about flowers, but. <laughs> 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 well, I feel like this actually kind of leads into something I wanted to ask you today because oh. all of this mention in the chapters of the injustices done to women. I mean, we didn't even mention that Sophia was paid a thousand dollars to her fellow right. male architects. Salary of $10,000 for the same job. Right. And then her being placed in a sanatorium. And then also, Holmes will talk about this murdering Julia when she told him she was pregnant. 
Right. All of this shit like really got to me this week. Right. And this is a big one. But have you ever been victim to women's injustices? And I feel like I know the answer to this because I don't I can't imagine asking any woman this and the answer yes. being yeah. no. Right. <laughs> but like whether it was being paid less than your male counterpart or being talked to a certain way because you're a woman or being told that you're crazy when you're just emoting whatever right. it may be. I mean, yes. Obviously, right. Yes. <laughs> I think I've told several stories now on the podcast about the bullshit involved in working in the hospitality industry mm-hmm. while also being female at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I worked at a restaurant several years back where, thankfully, the money tended to be really good, which is why I stayed. And it was a beautiful restaurant, delicious food, all that, wonderful people working with me. Um, but the uniform mm. for men was a button-down shirt, a tie, black pants, and black shoes of their choosing. They could wear sneakers if they wanted to, as long as they were black. And, you know, for a server, if you get to wear comfortable shoes, oh my God. That, that's a big deal for you. You're you working, have to. you know, nine-plus hours a night sometimes on your feet the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's nice. So the dress code for women was a very short, little Victoria's Secret-looking dress. Oh, God. Black tights, if you wanted to wear tights, and black booties. You had to wear <gasps> booties. And you did get two variations of the dress. One was, like, sleeveless with this low-cut V-neck, and the other was more of a full top, but they were both these super oh, short little nice. dresses that would, like, ride up when you walked up and down the stairs, which you had to do because the kitchen was downstairs. So they were clearly trying to make the restaurant, like, feel sexy and have a certain vibe and stuff, but this ridiculous dress, I could see that it made the female guests uncomfortable, <laughs> and it sort of weirdly gave the male guests, like, license to be weird sometimes Mm -hmm. like we'd get weird comments thrown our way i'd had hands put on me a couple of times (gasps) because you're dressed a certain way they're drinking alcohol and they think that they i mean it's it's ridiculous to say it but like they think that's what you're there for Mm, it doesn't i mean it it does sound ridiculous but it's also like it's so common that i'm like yeah no that's that's true So a few of the female staff, finally, we'd gotten fed up and we said we wanted a uniform change and we were super forthcoming about what our concerns were and our reasons for for it and all that. And to their credit, they said, okay. And then they came back to us with our new uniform, Mm -hmm. which was this skin tight little black sleeveless top with a really low cut V-neck like lace panel insert at the (laughs) cleavage. And we were allowed to wear pants, and then we were allowed to wear, like, whatever comfortable shoes that we wanted to. So I guess it was a step up, but, like, it it was just one of those things where, like, for whatever reason, female staff were required to wear this ridiculous uniform, and Mm -hmm. male staff were allowed to wear a different kind of uniform. And I did, I mean, I, I left before a lot of societal stuff had started to change, but I did wonder, like, what would happen if... I had come to them and said, I don't identify as a female. Well, actually, that's so interesting because I have some non-binary friends that work in the service industry, and now they're starting to flirt more with, like, nail polish and lipstick and earrings, Uh. and they look, they present to be, you know, male, (laughs) right? But they're not allowed to wear what presents as female, And so it's interesting because now it's like the opposite problem. So like non-binary people that want to start wearing 
what would quote unquote be female aesthetic right items are not allowed to do so because they don't look that sounds like quote, a lawsuit unquote, waiting to happen absolutely yeah. but that's actually really common it's really sad right. and i'm sure that we're going to start to see that change i hope so mm-hmm. yeah so that's interesting too that yeah they the reverse of both. that right Ugh. yeah i i mean i'm i've always been aware of this but really recently i've had two instances like really recently where I they're they're very like minor aggressions that aren't mm. even I don't think like and I've been with Ricardo both times and I don't think that he's even clocked it. Interesting. But we were at a car dealership not that long ago buying a car and everyone kept referring to Ricardo as the buyer and I was like actually it's under my name. It's it's technically my car. So I will be signing as the buyer. And they would start to, um, anytime that they were talking about any of the financial aspects of it, they (gasps) were always looking at Ricardo. And I was like, it was as if I wasn't even there. And one of the guys made a comment that was like, happy wife, happy life. And I was like, actually, I don't subscribe to that. I don't believe that. I I really actually don't like that. And I was like, and actually you're pissing me off. So you want happy buyer to be a buyer. So it's, you know, it's a lot of things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, recently we were apartment searching and dealing with a lot of male real estate agents. And again, everyone was always giving Ricardo all the eye contact. And then there's always there's always like those stupid little side comments that it's like, well, you know, then they'll look at me and be like, you'll be happy to know there's lots of closet space. Right. Because the like kitchen's women, really nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> women, you guys need big closets, right? For all of your shoes and your clothes. And that like those little side comments that are like I guess passive aggressive those are the things that really piss me off because I'm uh-huh. like, are you even aware of what that is? Right. And I talked to Ricardo about it afterward, and he, like, didn't even. Interesting. You know, and I'm like. I mean, <sighs> yeah, they've never had to face it. And then, uh, spe- like, feeding off what you're saying in the service industry, anytime I got comments from men about a drink, and they'd be like, does this come in a girly glass? Or, like, does it look oh, girly? And yes. it's like, what the fuck? Do you mean, is it, like, pink with a bow? Like, what do you mean? And then similarly, I find like anytime men would find out that I like scotch or whiskey neat, they were like, oh, wow. You know, to presume that like, oh, I don't just drink vodka sodas. I don't know. It's, it's so many little things like that that right. really add up that right that are just a constant. It's just a right. constant. Yeah. Or yeah, the, are you, you PMSing? You know, oh, the PMSing comment. Have you, has somebody said that to you before? Has no one said that to you? No, I mean, I've heard, obviously, I've heard it said, but no, I've never had someone say that at me. Oh, my God. Yeah. Even, like, male chefs at my last restaurant, they'd be <gasps> like, are you PMSing? No fucking way. Yes. No fucking way. Yes. It's gross. It's gross That's out disgusting. there. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. Something I wanted to ask you. Mm. So something you and I had sort of were speculating about last week was, who the hell is living in this murder castle? Like, it sounds like it is such a weird space, that it's been set up so weird, that it's uncomfortable. So we're like, who the fuck is living there? Mm-hmm. And this week, of course, we find out Ned, Julia, and Gertrude are living in the murder castle. And 
it seems obvious that they're living there despite how odd it may be is because they can't afford to live anywhere else and they're Mm -hmm. hoping to save up enough money to maybe eventually buy a place of their own. Um, And then, of course, we learn that Gertie comes to Ned really upset one day and we don't know what it's about we know that it has something to do with Holmes did your brain kind of just automatically come up with a hypothesis for what could have transpired that suddenly made her just like leave like that I thought he raped her you assumed she was assaulted Mm -hmm. oh interestingly my brain never went there wow what did you think I assumed that she had seen something in the hotel that made her uncomfortable. But you're right. I mean, she did blush. She blushes when she sees Holmes again in Ned's presence. Yeah, maybe maybe even if it wasn't rape, I, I assume Some that kind there of was sexual like advance touching. Yeah. That she was uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes that makes sense to me. It didn't seem like it could have been that she had some inkling about him potentially being harmful because then I can't imagine her leaving her she would brother. Let him stay. Yeah, and her sister in law there. Yeah, but that was I mean, just escaping by the skin of her teeth almost because she would definitely have been on his hit list. Oh God. Which just makes me feel really upset about everything that conspired with Julia. And Pearl. Oh, I know little Pearl who knew. It seems like Pearl knew something was wrong. I forget what specifically is mentioned, but there there's something said about the fact that he was getting tired of Pearl's, like, mean glares at her, him or something. Obviously, she held him responsible for her parents breaking up, probably. But I don't know. I feel like kids know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kids sense. That intuition. And she seemed to know something was up. And did you think at all this week in all of that reading about the abortion and how he was like, oh, well, I'll just get when she said that she was pregnant and then he was like, oh, well, I'll marry you, but I can't have a baby. I'll just give you an abortion. Did you think, oh, how ironic that now all the shit we're dealing with in your home state, Brandy. Oh, my God. I know. I know. How he was like, oh, I'll just give you an abortion. And now it's like. That is illegal. Well, the hilarious thing to me about that situation Ugh. is that towards the end of that chapter, you know, he he's talking to, I think, some people who had lived in the building or something. And he's talking about how, you know, she was a good, decent person. She wouldn't have put herself in a position to like she wouldn't have been indecent is basically right, what right, he right, implies, right. which is so interesting because. I'm sure if you asked him, I'm sure if you asked many people in Texas on the face Mm. of it, they might say like, oh, no, abortion, you know, is wrong. Like, you shouldn't do that or whatever until he needs one, until he wants Mm -hmm. someone to have one. Mm -hmm. And then it's then it's fine. Right. Then he needs it. So it's okay. Which is just a whole (laughs) fucking thing. I mean, talk about like the whole umbrella of women's injustice. Like, this is it. Right. I mean, it just it's just when I when I was reading about it and, and and, you know, hearing news stories about it and stuff, it just feels draconian. It feels mm-hmm. like end of days ish to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like Handmaid's Gilead. Tale. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Have you read The, Dis- the Descent by Justice Sotomayor? No. Oh, 
It's pretty powerful. Just Google, like, Justice Sotomayor dissent, and you can. We need more strong women like that in power. I mean, the scary thing is, is, like, we won't get them for a long time, probably, now with the way things, at least in the Supreme Court, with the way things Mm -hmm. have settled. Like, you know, we're in this for the long haul with this crew, which which is scary. Well, while we're talking about Julia, were you also, I can, I was actually, like, picturing your face while you were reading Oh, I was like, because as I was reading it, I was so mortified and I could like, I could see your face in the look of disgust (laughs) (laughs) as I was reading about, you know, how he skinned the poor woman. Oh my God, no. I guess sold. I wasn't actually clear if there was like a financial transaction, her skeleton to that doctor for medical learning purposes and that... And I get. I think we quickly touched on that last week, but how common that was that right that they actually grave uh, grave robbery was so common for corpses because they were in such need. I was like, what right. the fuck? And that there are no questions asked. Almost it seems like about like, well, where did this skeleton come from? Like they don't care. They, they just don't need care. the skeletons, so they're taking them. I also, I mean, are you assuming that he is violating these? Women before he murders them, is he violating them possibly after he murders them? Like, is there a sexual component to these murders? I haven't gotten that sense yet. Okay. It seems like he's having sex with them when they're alive, and then if something goes wrong, then he just kills them, yeah. When it becomes inconvenient to keep them, pretty much. But I don't know, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. What was crazy, too, is when Emmeline comes into the picture, he summons her. Like, she's not even somebody who just, like, shows up and is, like, already in Chicago and he happens to find attractive. He summons her from another town and brings her over at what sounds like kind of a high cost to him. It sounds like she's making maybe quite a bit of money for the time. Yeah. He offers her a lot of money to leave her current position or whatever. It just seemed like, like... Why? You have plenty of victims probably at your disposal right here. Well, and there was a mention in that that was kind of just like dropped and then forgotten about that I'm wondering if you have any theories on. When oh. After Holmes asked her to marry him and then they were going to honeymoon in Europe. Yeah. And she would meet his father, the Lord. Yeah. Are we going to pick back up from there? Like, what? It, who is his father? Well, he... Or did the, I miss that? In what the, I assumed was so there was a there was a mention of him telling her his father was an English lord, which I assumed to have been a complete lie. Oh. And so then when he says, "Yes, we'll get married, we'll honeymoon, and you know, in Europe, and you'll finally meet my father, the Lord," I thought this is the kiss of death for you because there is no father who is a lord. That oh. guy does not exist. So if he's telling you we're going to meet that guy once we get married. You're as good as dead now because that guy ain't real. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was like, what is that? Who is that? Something curious about that is like there does seem to be a little bit of a a suggestion that I don't know how how seriously it is or isn't taken, but there is some suggestion that Holmes could be Jack the Ripper who possibly Mm. had left. Because Jack the Ripper was also supposed to have been a doctor and he was dissecting, you know, uh-huh. dead bodies and whatnot. So there has been some mention made of or hinting at could Holmes 
be Jack the Ripper who left England and is now in the United States. You mean the same person? Yeah. Like in articles that I've read, that is oh. that is something that's like hinted at. <gasps> I don't know how seriously it's hinted at. I don't know if by him saying my father's a European lord, he's somehow just trying to like, you know, evoke Jack the Ripper in himself or something. You know what I mean? If he's just... Right. Like, well, because Jack the Ripper is already around because there was mention... Right. Yeah. So it seems to me, or at least how I would envision that, is that he's just inspired by him and wants right. to he's be like a like copycat him. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense to me. He is the devil in the white city, right? Like, we didn't actually talk about that in regards to the title of this book. Because it is funny that... This book is supposed to be about these two men, but the title of the book is singular, The Devil. So I feel like that has to be Holmes. Well, so I think the of... white city part is Burnham. And then the devil right. part is... It's Holmes, yeah. Holmes. But actually, I'm glad you you brought up the fact that it seems like the story of these two men... Because there seems to be a third storyline emerging here that I had sort of missed. And I wondered if you had too, Emma, because there's so much information. Oh, my in God. This book. Yeah, I bet I and did. there's so many names being thrown at us. So the story of Patrick Prendergast, Prendergast uh-huh. seems to be like stealthily creeping up on us this week. Uh-huh. The name shows up. Um, or it showed up this week and it looked familiar and I thought, wait, who the who the hell is this guy? And I had to go I had to go back into the book and figure out where we had first heard the name. But this right. week it's said of him that when Carter Henry Harrison lost the mayoral election, Patrick Prendergast grieved. Harrison was his hero, and the margin was so narrow that he believed that if Harrison ran again, he would win. Prendergast resolved to double his own efforts to help Harrison succeed. So when I went back through the book looking for where we met this guy, it was in our first section. He's the guy who we find out manages this crew of newsboys that he hates and who hate him. And despite being this very quiet, friendless kid, he's become this very smart, vocal contributor at meetings of the single tax club. And he believes he's meant for greatness. So he writes scores of these postcards Perhaps hundreds, the book says, to the most powerful men in the city in a voice that presumed he was their equal in social stature. And we learned that he throws himself into Harrison's mayoral campaign, believing that when Harrison wins, he'll realize Prendergast's worth oh. and reward him with a job that would rescue him right. from his current dull life. And it said that he seemed troubled, but that no one would have guessed that he might be dangerous and that his newsboys would have been shocked to know that he might one day shape the destiny of the World's Fair. So I'm kind of wondering, like, is there about to be a third storyline that converges in on this that adds one more Mm -hmm. possibly horrific headache to Burnham's pile of shit that could go wrong with this fair if this guy Prendergast... I mean, is he going to assassinate the mayor? Oh, God, that would be fun. Just one more big Just one more thing. Yeah. I mean, it seems like if it's going to happen anywhere, Chicago at this time is the place where yeah. it would happen. Oh, it's a great <laughs> question. I mean, you're right. I definitely, I remember that name, but I haven't been focused on him at all. But yeah, with a sentence like that last one, it seems like something major is about to go down. 
right. with him. I also this week was, um, I don't know, since your dad grew up in Chicago, mm-hmm. were you familiar with the Borden murders? It's been mentioned now twice in the book, in passing. It has He hasn't gone into it at all. He just keeps mentioning the Borden murders. Mm-mm. So <laughs> oh, I looked into it this week because it was uh-huh. mentioned for the second time. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a very quick mention of these murders. And... Um, it was a sensational and gruesome murder that attracted national attention at the time. Andrew and Abby Borden were found murdered in their Massachusetts home, and Andrew's daughter, Abby's adopted stepdaughter, Lizzie, was the only one home aside from the maid when it happened. And she was arrested and charged with double homicide on some very circumstantial mm-hmm. evidence. She was eventually acquitted, though suspicion followed her for the rest of her days. Mm-hmm. And when I went to investigate more about this story, I found this sing-songy rhyme about it that goes like this lizzie borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax when she saw what she had done she gave her father 41 wait i've heard that i've heard that before yeah 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 it's about the borden murders which happened in chicago at this fucking time like everything else it seems like god It's so, I only brought it up because it's so fucking weird and it seems once again just indicative of the way like (laughs) murder and criminality is treated at this time, which is just like, ha ha ha. Yeah, it's now a sing-songy children's rhyme. Right? (laughs) What? It's a fucking gruesome murder. She killed two people. Well, she, who knows? Yeah, that does sound really familiar, actually, and I have no idea why or when I learned that, but I have heard that before. I wouldn't have connected it to the Borden murders, but... Crazy. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. As I, it's oh, a hell of a, a town. Take a sip. Oh. Do you think we need the Keeley cure for ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> I think that I may have incorrectly stated last episode that the fair was lit by Edison bulbs. Uh Uh-huh. And we, of course, find out in these chapters that the fair actually passes, they pass on Edison's DC Mm -hmm. electricity, and instead they go with Westinghouse and Tesla's alternating current, which had been a big to-do around this time, which method was superior, which leads me to a deep dive. Welcome to Deep Dive, where we make a recommendation for a deeper look into an aspect of the book we're reading. Yeah. So this Deep Dive, I want to recommend the documentary series, The Men Who Built America. Have you seen this? I haven't. It's currently available to watch on Amazon Prime Video. It explores the epic stories of John D. Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie, Cornelius Vanderbilt, Henry Ford and J.P. Morgan and the contributions these titans of industry made to the American story in the time period in and around the one we're exploring in this book. Hmm. It also goes into the rivalry that erupted between Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla and their battle to bring their version of electricity to the masses. It really gives some great historical context and insight into the industrial advancements we were making at the time, which I really think uh, colors what's going on in this book. So yeah. once again, that's The Men Who Built America, and I will include it in our show notes. It's it's an awesome little docuseries. You should check it out. Thanks, Brandy. That sounds like a great yeah. deep dive for this. Highly recommend. I have a question for you. Uh-huh. So there was a fascinating moment in this week's chapters where the architects, who have all seemed skeptical up to this point, 
they're all presenting their plans finally for the fair. And at the end of it, one of the architects stands up and says to Burnham, do you realize this has been the greatest meeting of artists since the 15th century? And mm. I just felt the weight and gravity of that moment. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit, they're, they are really about to embark on something you know, something that over 100 years later, we're still reading about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wondered, have you ever had a moment like that, maybe on a smaller scale, (laughs) but have you ever had a moment like that before you started to work on something where you realize, oh, shit, like, this could be really fucking amazing? Well, definitely whatever my answer is going to be, it will be on a smaller scale. (laughs) (laughs) Because I can't say that I've been part of anything quite this epic yet. Yeah, probably not many people have. Yeah. Um, but how fun would that be? I The thing that comes to mind, I actually didn't – I guess I'm not answering this exactly the way that you phrased yeah. because I didn't realize how extraordinary it was until after it had already happened. Yeah. So I'm kind of changing it by the yeah, – from your phrasing. Yeah, do it. But – and I've talked about – this production on this podcast before, but the production I did of Our Town. Oh, yeah. In New York, off off Broadway, when I was 15, and it was where the director slash artistic director of this beautiful theater company, Transport Group, had the vision to do Our Town, where Emily and George were played by actors in their mid-60s. Right. And the stage manager was played by a 15-year-old girl, which was me. And... I didn't know the play Our Town prior to doing the play. You know, mm. I mean, I really got deep into it and yeah. obviously in rehearsals and from the production. But so I didn't understand how incredibly epic doing a, a cast, rever- a role reversal like that could be. Yeah. Just by changing the ages, like it really did change the gravitas of the show. Mm. And. I felt that there was something really special about it. You know, I was emotional yeah. every rehearsal and every show. I could feel it. I just didn't really understand what that was. I think I was yeah. too young. But afterward, and I still talk to people that saw that production, which is now, you know, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, almost 20 years. Oh, my God, almost 20 years Whoa. ago. Whoa. <laughs> wow. But I still see people that saw that production and just say how powerful and moving it was because it wow. really it – it was just really, really special. And it's cool, too, because it was the this uh, theater company's first production that they ever did. So it kind of really jump-started the rest of their future as a theater company. Wow. Kind of, like, set the bar of what they did. So it had a lot of gravity for them, too. Yeah. yeah. So – it feels really special to me now to know that I was part of something like that. Even though I didn't appreciate, not that I didn't appreciate it, I didn't understand how amazing it was in the moment. Looking back, I'm pretty grateful yeah. to have had any part in it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's also a show that I kind of, I had auditioned for it because uh, it sounded it sounded interesting and fun. I think I've also mentioned this show on the podcast. Um, I had known the director in college. He was one of my sort of professors when I was at school. And it was just like this really interesting film noir 
ish show, but it was a play. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it. But one of the things that kind of became a joke among the cast was that we were all, all of these characters were trapped inside this brownstone and there were kind of like ghosts that appeared to be real you kind of never knew where you were in time Mm. is this person alive still is this person dead and it's like kind of a murder you know it's film noir so it's kind of a murder mystery element that's going on but every single actor who worked on this show was just not not only a phenomenal actor and like artist but they were all just the most phenomenal people. Mm. And it was one of those shows where, like, you know, you do the matinee and then we all would go have an early dinner together before the evening show. And mm. w- I was dreaming about this show even when I wasn't working on it. And, like, even now, you know, five, six years later, we'll message each other on Facebook and we're the brownstoners because all of our characters Aww. are surely still stuck in that brownstone <laughs> reliving that circular story over and over and over again um and I think for me it held so much weight because it was just my first time working with a director who like trusted us so much and just really wanted to like try stuff and experiment and explore and I I just feel like it was the first time that I felt like I'm an actor like Mm -hmm. I'm an artist I'm an actor and I'm respected in this space yeah so that was that was I wish I could have seen it yeah, it was it was great. I still like I still have like a fantasy that maybe like, you know, at some point we'll be like, let's do that show again. Let's find yeah. out where the brownstoners are. <laughs> you should do it. We should do it. I um I for the first time this week went to look up the some of the buildings that uh, Burnham and Root had uh-huh. designed. And I looked up the rookery finally for the first time, which I think is the building that they had their offices in. Have you been there? Have you seen it? I don't think so. Oh, my God. It's like the most stunning building that I've ever seen in my life. And I think it's still there. And it's this just magnificent building. It's got this glass like ceiling because at the time, I guess, light indoors was hard to come by so if you wanted to read you had to light a gas lamp which then made the air kind of cloudy which made it harder to read so they had designed this building with that sort of functionality in mind but it's just like a stunning beautiful gorgeous building. Oh I'm looking at it now it is in that staircase. Yeah there's this gorgeous curved staircase. Oh my god it's beautiful. And I think it's one of like the earliest still surviving skyscrapers that that was built um in mm. chicago but also just probably in the country oh it's um, so pretty so if you have not had a chance to go look at some of the buildings that these two designed i mean just like stunning magnificent like grand building yeah, this makes me want to go back to chicago now and do just an architecture tour of these know, buildings yeah. yeah yeah this time period I always find really fascinating. It's why I watched The Men Who Built America to begin with, because, you know, as much as it is a bunch of old white guys (laughs) with privilege, you know, wielding their power, trying to be gods of the universe or whatever, like, this is the time period in which our country was built. The railroads were being built. Industry was happening, you know, booming and happening and technology was beginning to, to flourish and stuff. So I find this time period just like completely fascinating it is yeah yeah scary and fascinating (laughs) 
Very scary. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't know that I would want to live in <laughs> Chicago at this time with the, the smells going on and the, the bad water. But um, bad water. Still, still some very fascinating stuff going on. So I have a final question for you. Ooh, bring it. I love that Burnham put a sign in his office as a reminder for anyone and everyone to see with one word on this fucking sign. And that word was rush. Rush. (laughs) (laughs) If you were to put a one word sign over your desk right now at this exact moment in your life, what would it say? Oh, Hands down. I feel like we're going to say the same thing. On the count of three? Should we just do it on the count of three? Okay. One, two, three. Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I fucking knew it. I fucking That's knew it. So weird. <laughs> weird, but not weird. Oh, my God. And just so everyone knows, Emma and I have a habit of dressing similarly always when we turn up anywhere. And we are even right now both wearing a black (laughs) t-shirt. Oh, God, that's so funny. Wait, are you drinking a drink right now called the Chicago Cocktail? Oh, hey, actually, I am. Are you recording a podcast right now? So weird, yeah. Will the coincidences never cease? All right, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have an insight or a question you'd like us to discuss on an episode, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Yeah. And hey, if you love us, why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know? We'd love to shout you out and let you know how much we love you, too. We would love that. <laughs> Next week, we'll be reading to the end of the chapter entitled Claustrophobia. Oh. Mar- scared or page 298 in the hard copy of the book or the paperback copy of the book (laughs) stay tuned on our instagram page and are these books drunk to find out next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us because it's always happy happy hour hour. Have you ever noticed that we always say the same thing at the end of the episode? (laughs) (laughs) Bye! Bye. (laughs) Ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous.